And uh, right back here is, is a, a resident of Loveland. And so we do love this area. Uh, we have lots of family out here. And uh, we love your church. I've told Pastor Dave this many times. I've, I've, I've thanked God for this many times. But having a church like yours in this area is a wonderful, miraculous sign of God's grace and his movement in northern Colorado. So I'm really, really blessed just the fact that you all are here. Uh, so I saw the pictures from last week and the people from Flint, Texas up here. I want you to know that that's probably like an hour from where we lived for the last 10 years. And, and you're welcome for the brisket. <laughs> right? I used to say that Texas didn't have mountains and not a whole lot of scenery, at least where we lived, but uh, we have food. <laughs> and we do that well, even to a fault sometimes, right? So, uh, so no, what a cool thing to see the church working together like that to reach the families up here. That's just a wonderful picture of a partnership. Uh, before we move any further, I want to read our passage today. We're going to be in Psalm 127. Psalm 127, and this is a beautiful short, little, encouraging passage uh, that I want to spend some time in this morning. Um, So Psalm 127, and this is written by Solomon, and it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, they are the children, or they are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Calvary Derby Hill, for Pastor Dave, his family, the leadership, the volunteers here. Thank you, God, for the mission team that came here from Flint, Texas to help this local body to do something like the the week of uh, ministry to families and to children and to paint uh, part of the building and to just bless these people. God, I pray that you continue to allow this church to be a voice, a light in the darkness in northern Colorado, be with Pastor Dave and his family, encourage them in their task as shepherd. Uh, and Father, I just pray that you continue to build this, this church, that more people would be saved, more people would be discipled. And God, just thank you for this. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. And thank you, God, so much for your word that was communicated to us uh, through song today and our worship leaders. God, we trust you with our time. I pray that you'd speak through me in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, my wife got in the habit a few years ago of um, discovering when I would fall asleep and then take a picture when I would fall asleep. And here's why. Uh, because I can fall asleep just about anywhere. I don't, airport, fine. Somebody else's house, that might happen. Right? Like on the couch. I mean, anywhere. If it's time for me to go to sleep... It's going to happen. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. I don't know if any, you know, any moms, dads, anybody, grandparents, if you can relate to just wherever it happens, it's going to happen. I'm probably going to fall asleep. And most of the time when I fall asleep in an unexpected place, okay, I, my body is contorted into the most weird of pretzel shapes, right? It's just my hands resting on, I mean, it's just and my mouth is just gaping open like a dead fish, <laughs> right? It's the most unflattering version of myself, I would say. 
And it became such a regular pattern uh, a few years ago. There's these funny contortions of me just in these really random places that uh, Kristen thought, you know, not for public consumption, but I'm going to take a picture just so that we can remember this beautiful moment, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so there are several. And one year, we were part of a life group at our old church. One year, we had a white elephant gift party. And unbeknownst to me, Kristen went ahead and got all those pictures because we had a bunch. And she put them on a nice ceramic mug for one of the people to take home. I mean, it's just all over the place. And, uh, and so I'm never, I don't know why that is. It's just me getting older, obviously me being out of shape. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't take much, right? I've never had trouble going to sleep. Um, but the title of our message today for Father's Day is A Father Who Can Rest. And when I say a father who can rest, I'm not primarily talking about random naps. I'm talking about divine, divinely provided rest in the midst of a very anxious world because we know that God is in control. So divinely provided rest in the midst of an anxious world because we know, based on God's word, that he is in control even when it makes zero sense. Let's jump into our passage. You've got to know this is written by Solomon. Solomon, King Solomon, probably the wisest man that ever lived, divinely gifted by God specifically with what he requested, which was wisdom. Many times, ironically, he didn't make wise decisions, but he was probably the smartest man ever, businessman, scholar, you name it, king, rich. I mean, his kingdom, his palace even in itself, the temple that God allowed him to build, a spectacle. People would travel from all around, dignitaries, kings. This man was rich, powerful, and smart. And he wrote this very short little passage, Psalm 127. He says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you've heard the vanity of vanities. All of life is vanity. That's Solomon towards the end of his life. It's kind of... Kind of get the sense like bitter old Solomon a little bit in there, sometimes with Ecclesiastes until those last couple verses, right? So it's good to have a guide through that. It's the same man, and he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, I, I can't build anything. I also can't fix anything, right? But... If I go at this plan, if I go at a plan of building something, it actually makes me feel kind of good, or fixing something, or mowing the lawn. I feel like a lot of dads, not every dad, but a lot of fathers, uh, feel a sense of pleasure when they've accomplished something, when they've built something, when they've fixed something, when they've solved a problem, whenever they've done well at work, or they've reached a milestone. I feel like that's part of God's design, to give within men, in a very specific way, this this charge to achieve or to fix or to create or accomplish or, or work towards a goal. I think that's a very good and right thing. I think it comes from God's design. But if we as men and women, if we go forward in our plans of life, if we go forward building, a, charting out a path of where we think we're supposed to go, but God is not at the helm of that path, but God is not at the helm of that journey, God is not at the helm of that goal that you have, Solomon would say, unless the Lord builds the house, the house has been built in vain. The laborer labors in vain. Have you ever totally ignored God, totally ignored him, and just went on your own way? Have you ever just totally ignored God's plan as communicated through his word and just did whatever you wanted to do? 
I want to ask you, in relation to your relationship with God, how did that play out? Never in a good way. The most terrifying of those scenarios is when God does allow us to follow our own path at times to discipline us. God forbid. But we oftentimes, and this is me speaking as well, we oftentimes can set out on a journey without the Lord being at the helm. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know, one of the, I think, built-in features of how God has designed us as men, and not just men, but I think in a special way with men, is the need to protect, the need to watch out for, the need to shield against. Now, I used to watch a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies when I was a kid. I don't know. A lot of roundhouse kicks to the face, right? Uh, Those were some bad B movies, right? But I used to love, when I was a kid, the thought of the ninja, and he's defending people, he's fighting against people. So I've never been in a real fight in my whole life, and I hope I never have to be. I'm willing to do it, but it's not always like a physical thing, right? It's not always like I'm going to stand in, in defense or some physical thing. It's, there's so much more. <laughs> what about when your kid encounters something that you don't want them to encounter, and you want to protect them from it, but maybe you can't always? Uh, What if you want to protect your family, your wife, your children, your grandchildren from what's going on in the world? You almost get the sense, can I just put them in a bubble somewhere until everything hopefully gets better? Can I do that? Can I just protect them? I want to say that the desire to protect your family is a God-given thing. It's a natural thing. It's, It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But he says, Solomon says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Even the things that I'm most afraid of, I cannot protect anyone from them. I'm not in charge. I'm not powerful. I don't have skills to protect against all that is evil for my city, for my family, for my church, whatever it is. Although I would love to stop any evil action and stand in the way like you would too. You know who can stop it. You know who is in control. God is in control. You know, one of my friends online just the other day, she, she put uh, this thing online, and it, she was kind of making a joke, but it was real. She says, you know, uh, most of the time when I counsel somebody, the only thing I really have for them is God is sovereign. God is in control. And what she meant by that was, at the core of our deepest, darkest issues, at the core of our deepest, darkest fears, the only thing that will break into that darkness is a realization that God is alive and that he's in control. Fathers, grandfathers, men, young men who will eventually be fathers, who will eventually be bosses, employees, people in the community, you're not in control, and that should comfort you. That should allow you to take a deep breath. You are not the one building this. You're not the one protecting this. It's God. What we must do is acknowledge that he is already in authority. This is something that I kind of Uh, grew up kind of assuming about a part of Revelation where it talks about Jesus is at the door knocking, and if you would just let him in, and a big part of the culture almost viewed that Jesus as a begging, as a a Jesus that would say, if you would just let me be your Savior, then everything would be okay, and it's almost like he needs that to be himself. Did you know that that's not the picture of Jesus? At the Great Commission, he said to his disciples, before he ascended into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, into all nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The comfort, and he says at the end, lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. 
What's the comfort there? The comfort is he has all authority everywhere. He's in authority over the things you can't even see. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 says that through him all things were created, the things you can see and the things that you can't see. He is in charge. And while I don't understand that all the time, and while it's not a quippy way to just do away with problems, at the deepest, darkest depths of the deepest, darkest issues of our lives, I believe that the one and only comfort that we have is a sufficient comfort because it has to deal with God's control, God's sovereign hand. He's with us. He has not abandoned us. He cannot abandon us. Men, take a deep breath. You're not building this. Men, take a deep breath. You're not able to protect those you love from everything. You can't. Continue having that desire, but you can't. Continue to strive to protect your kids. Paul says that the one that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. But realize that you're not in power. He says, and I like this one, he says in verse 2, he says, It is vain. So we've already said the word vain three times. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. A few years ago, we took a mission trip, much like the church in Flint took a mission trip here. My church in Texas took a mission trip to Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And there's a lot of wealth there, a lot of affluence. And we put on this kids, VBS, this sports camp, this basketball camp. And out of all the kids that came, tons of kids that came, hardly any of their parents came to get them. Instead, nannies came to get them. And there's a large, this is true, there's a large population in Calgary Uh, People all over the world, but there's a large population in Calgary of people from the Philippines, and a big market there for them is like is is house cleaning in Calgary and and, uh, nursery kind of things and taking care of people's kids. So there was a ton of Filipino population there picking up these Canadian kids. And I remember going like, man, that's interesting. I didn't, where are their parents? And what the pastor told me is they're all at work. (laughs) They're all at work. I have a friend who pastors in Houston, Texas. Actually, he's a youth pastor in Houston, Texas. Most of those kids are latchkey kids, right? Most of those kids are latchkey kids, and most of those kids, they're trying to do family ministry in that church, but it's just shy of impossible apart from the miracle of the Lord. Why? Because the parents never see their children. The the kids are taken by bus. They're watched by nanny. When they get older, they just take care of themselves as teenagers, and all of a sudden, the childhood goes by like that. These people are striving for who knows what. I don't know them. They're striving for who knows what. But he says, it's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Does your day-to-day routine, do do your day-to-day goals and ambitions, does it look like anxious toil from dawn till dusk? Does it look like restless tension from dawn till dusk? Does it look like you worrying if you can keep it on your shoulders or not? One of my close friends yesterday, she found out that her husband lost her job two days ago. He was furloughed during quarantine, and now he's lost his job. The medical issues in the family are rising. The bills are stacking. And you know what this family, this, this, this man, this godly man, he's trusting the Lord. You know he's worried, but he's trusting the Lord. He's saying, God's going to provide something else. So right now I'm going to spend time with my family. It blew my mind as I was talking to her about it. Does your day-to-day routine look like anxious toil? Why am I saying that? He says, for he gives to his beloved what? Sleep. Sleep. 
Just think about that for a minute. You know, this is the same God that penned the words or that inspired Matthew to pen the words in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus talks about consider the lilies of the field. Consider, consider the birds in the air. I, I clothe them. This is great. He says the lilies of the field, they're more beautiful than Solomon and all of his grandeur, all of his glory. And yet, aren't you more important than one of them? Man, I want to say this, that it is very normal, especially in the coming generation, uh, for people to talk about their feelings, people to talk about anxiety, people to talk about depression, all these things. I know that in the generations prior to us, the generation that a lot of you grew up in, it was not normal to talk about those things. It was not normal to show weakness. It was not normal to cry. It was even taught to many, do not say you love somebody. Don't even, I mean, you're providing for them, aren't you? I know that's a tension. And I also know that that doesn't really allow you a lot of the time to take a deep breath and rest. Take a deep breath and rest. I'm not saying like me napping on random couches. I'm saying taking rest because God is providing it. Why? For the same reason that he commanded in the fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. The same reason that on the seventh day God himself rested. This is a divine command, a divine pattern. Because here's what happens when we take Sabbath rest, whatever that looks like for you. Here's what happens when you rest on the Sabbath biblically. It's like you actively saying, even though there are a million fires that I need to put out, I'm going to let God take care of it today. When you go to bed at night, because you know God is in control, Father, Grandfather, when you go to bed tonight because you know God is in control, you can go to sleep under the peace of knowing that the world is not on your shoulders. It can't be. It can't be. can't fix your family. You can't fix your job. You can't fix your neighborhood. Only God can. And he's with you. And he says to his beloved, he gives to his beloved rest. It reminds me of Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, that's in the Bible. Do you know that's God speaking that to us? But we don't feel like we have permission to do it because there's too much to do. It's the same idea in my mind. One of the most comforting verses in the whole Bible for me is Isaiah 26.3. He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Anxiety is everywhere and it's real. It's not, it's not some myth. It's real. Depression is everywhere and your schedule will never get less busy. There's always something. And yet God provides divine rest only because we recognize that he's actually in control. He's the one who builds. He's the one who watches. He's the one who provides rest for his people. God builds. God watches. God gives. Everything we do on our own is vain, vain, vain. Useless, useless, useless. Futile, futile, futile. When you try to be God, bad results happen. And that should comfort us not depress us. And then he transitions into this other part. Solomon transitions into this other part that almost seems disconnected. When I, you know, I hear this verse so much in family ministry. It's kind of like when I was here before talking about Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. 
It's, it's a family ministry passage, and yet Moses didn't have in mind to set out to write a family ministry book. He's talking about discipleship and what families are to do in the new land. Solomon here is not looking to write a chapter on family ministry, but there is some cool implications here for families, for you fathers, for you mothers. He says in verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. God builds, God watches, God gives, God continues to give with children. I've said this many times in public places. I'll say it to the lovely church of Calvary Derby Hill. Children are without qualification a gift from God. Without qualification. They say, well, there's exception. Well, what if they do that? What if they, what if they? Children, biblically speaking, based on God's design, are a gift from God a heritage from the Lord. And there are many, and you might be in this room, who have the pain of never being able to have one. And this verse, this verse is not a surprise to you. When you see the pain in pastoral ministry of somebody who's trying to have a child, and yet for some reason God's sovereign plan that we don't understand and can barely try to explain, they're not able to have it. Do you think they believe that children are special in the eyes of God? It's not a question. It's a fact. And yet, how many times do I get so used to my routine that I don't realize that though my kids are not to be worshipped or idolized, that they are to be treated like a gift of God that I'm to steward, that I'm to steward. But this hasn't left, this theme hasn't left the fact that God is the one acting. God is the one initiating. God is the one doing, not us. While obviously we participate in the act of bringing kids into the world, it is actually a divine thing that happens. It's all based on God's design. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. He says something really cool here for me. I just dork out over it. He says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. There's me watching Jean-Claude Van Damme movies when I was a kid. Or Braveheart or something like that, you know. Are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. And this is fascinating stuff. He says children are a gift from God. There we go. Children are a gift from God. You didn't, you didn't create them. God created them. They're not your possession. God gave them to you. You're a steward. They're a blessing. He says in verse 4, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the, children's, are the children of one's youth. He's not talking about young parents so much as he's just saying the, the, the parents when they're in those early stages and like we experienced in the church that we were at where kids just started to seem to come from every direction right everybody's preparing for uh, you know getting their first house and all these uh, friends of ours are blessed with the pregnancy or something all these kids start showing up at our church he says blessed is the man whose quiver is full with them filled with children so you have this picture of arrows and you have the quiver, which is like the thing that holds the arrows, right? And what I love about this, too, it's a, kind of a secondary point here. But what I love about that is our children are not meant to just remain with us, with us trying to protect them from everything. What's an arrow supposed to do? Go. And home discipleship is like pulling back the bow. Take out the quiver. Discipling your children to do what? To release them into the world. To go and make disciples of all nations. My kids are very young. I'm sure that when it's time for them to go on their first international mission trip, I will be a mess. I will be scared to death. 
I had one of my friends who's a youth pastor in, in Texas. He's been a youth pastor. He's in his 60s. I think he's 64. And he's got one of the coolest youth ministries I've ever been around. And I was with him at a camp where his daughter was about to go to Africa for six weeks. And this man is a man of God. This man is a, is a fired up. He loves the Lord. He is a mature man of God. And he was sitting on the front row of this massive camp weeping because he was so afraid of just world, just the world. But his daughter's like, I feel called to go to Africa to spread the gospel. Children are not our own possession. They have a purpose. Our families have a function and a design to spread the gospel into all the world. That's our function. Discipleship engines in the world as a part of the family of God's expressed in this local church, Calvary Derby Hill. Children are meant to be pulled back. That's discipling them and launched into the world so that they can do the same. But he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them. There's an exclamation on that. Solomon says, that guy is blessed. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is so cool. In this time, like the civil cases, like the kind of courtroom, kind of town hall of the area, the town hall of the local government was always held at the city gates. You remember that from the book of Ruth, right? Like disputes, civil disputes would happen at the city gates, in the city gates. And here's the picture that Solomon's painting. He says, blessed is the man who's been given the gift of children. Blessed is the man who's been given the gift of children. He won't be put to shame when he's at the city gates. I want you to picture this. Somebody has accused dad of something, and it's not true. The implication from this text is that this is a righteous man, this illustration that Solomon's giving. This is a righteous man. He's been accused of something in the area. He's been accused of something in the town, and he's older now. The kids aren't young. He's older now. And you know who's standing behind him? His sons, his children. And what are they doing? They're supporting him. So I want you to picture this. I want you to picture if I'm the father and these arrows that have been in my quiver and we've been discipling them and they've come to know the Lord and they know the character of their father. They know that the suit that's been brought against him is not accurate. They know that the suit that's been brought against him is against the truth. It's against his character and also the whole community knows it. But I want you to picture that man. He's standing at the gate. He's been accused of something. It's erroneous. But what's more powerful is his children standing behind him in support. His children standing behind him saying, this is my father, and we're with him, and what you've said isn't true. Children are meant to be launched, but the blessing that Solomon gives here is a very specific one. He says, uh, when you are blessed with these children and when you raise them in the care of the Lord, like he describes in Proverbs 22, 6, train them up in the training admonition of the Lord, right? Bring them up in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. When Solomon says that, when, when these children are being discipled and then they rise up and they themselves are leaders in their community, they themselves have family and they're standing behind you as a father, as a parent, saying, we know him, we support him, this man is a man of God and the case is just dissolved. You know, when I was growing up, we, we had these two little, um, you can't call it this really because it was so lame, but two gangs in our neighborhood. And what that consisted of was a bunch of spoiled suburban kids with camouflage costumes that they got at the Army-Navy store throwing mud clods at each other, right? We had a treehouse. They had a treehouse. But I always felt better when we were going up against Alex and his gang. 
I always felt better when I had my dudes with me, you know. When I played soccer in high school, I always felt better when, I'd had my, when I had my team with me. When we were up against a really tough situation, I always felt, felt better when I had my team with me. You know, when, when I was younger, my, my brother can fight like nobody's business. He can fight. He's, he's wiry. He's not like some big bodybuilder guy, but he's one of the strongest, best fighters in the world, right, to me. Do you know that I would feel so safe if, you're, if all of y'all came at me and my brother was standing with me? I'd feel perfectly fine. I'd just go like this. Here you go. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I would, we, me and my brother, we'd go to uh, rock concerts. Don't judge me for that, please. We'd go to rock concerts. Sometimes at the front of the rock concert, there would be a little delightful thing called a mosh pit. And those things are not nice, right? And... I needed a lot to learn at the time, and I was an idiot, and I stepped into this ruckus thing that was going on, and you know what my brother did? He protected me. He stepped in, and somebody pushed me, and my brother did something else to him. We won't say what that was, right? I want to tell you that because if I was with my crew, if I was with my people, if I was with my team, if I was with my family, and they're supporting me, and they're standing behind me, it's, it's a different ball game. I want to say to you, Calvary Derby Hill, whatever is going on in your family, whatever's going on in your work, fathers, whatever's going on in your day-to-day world, I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to realize that God is in control. I want you to allow that to provide for you rest. And then I want you to step back, those of you that have been given family, those of you that have Father's Day as a special day in your life and in your heart, And I want you to be able to say, God, I don't, man, I don't know why you gave me kids. I don't know why you gave me a family, but I recognize that they're a blessing. I recognize that they're not just a blessing, they're a blessing with a purpose to be used in the world. And I recognize that they are not my possession. God, I pray, this is something that I pray for my own kids. I pray that, not that they'll defend me in a civil suit. Solomon's not saying it just for the sake of itself, but that my kids could know the Lord, and that they could rise up in him in maturity in the faith, and that they can stand tall only because, not because of me, but because of the God who loves them, but because of the God who is changing them, and because of the God who is sending them out to impact their city gate. I want, you to, I want to tell you, friends, it, it's, it seems hopeless. Children today, I was in youth ministry for 10 years, about, uh, it, it seems like hopeless, the, the amount of, the amount of uh, parents of teens that would come to me and, man, the only thing they would really want to talk to me about was either a catastrophe or how much camp costs. Either something terrible had happened or they need to know what time to drop off the kid. They didn't want to get into too much because it was too hard to talk about it. It was too hard to talk about how the kid just shuts the door when he gets home. It was too hard to talk about all the stuff the kid sees on his phone or her phone. And it just, it just makes parents, and understandably so, it makes parents go like this. I don't know what to do. I hope they don't do anything terribly embarrassing. I just hope they get through this. Can I remind you that you're not building this? You're not the ultimate protector. You're not the creator of those children. And the fact that they're alive in this moment means that God has something in store. Maybe he's going to use you with those children to see something happen in the world. Maybe. Who knows what God could do? But when you step back, fathers, and realize 
that God is the one who acts. He builds, he watches, he gives, he rewards. Realize that you don't even have the capability on a divine sense to do any of those things. But we rest in the Father's lap, the one who can and does do these things on a daily basis. I got to tell you, like I said earlier, I don't, have, I don't have a ton of comfort to give you. I've got no pop psychology for you. I've got no encouraging anecdotes for you. But what Pastor Dave and I have, what your leadership has at this church, is the fact that you're sitting here as a testimony to the truth that God is alive. And he's active. Do you think that God is surprised by what the teenager sees on his phone? This is the last thing I want to say. Uh, we're, we're developing a, something for, uh, we do every year. We, we create like an Easter prep book for families. You know, and some, some denominations call that Lent, and some just say just prepping for Easter. All it is really is just a plan to reflect on and to think about what Jesus went through. And, and you see people fasting and thinking about contemplating what Jesus went through and thinking about the cross and all these different things. And in one of those chapters, it just talks about Jesus' heart Jesus' compassion, like he sees the people in there like a sheep without a shepherd. Or he walks up to the tomb of, of Lazarus and he sees Lazarus' family weeping. And you know what he does? He weeps too. And me and my wife were talking about this just a few weeks ago. Because I was thinking about it for the little pamphlet that we're making. And just going, why did he weep? Even, even, even the sister comes up, sister of Lazarus comes up, Mary, and says, if you'd have just been here two days before, he wouldn't be dead. Like, I don't get it. You're God. Like, have you ever been in that spot where you're going, like, you're God, right? So you can do anything, right? So why did this happen to me? And Mary's going, your friend, the one that you love, Jesus even said that himself, the one that we loved has fallen asleep to the disciples. He said, the one that you loved, he's dead. And he's been dead for a few days. And where, where were you? And he weeps. I mean, Christian, we're talking about that. Why did he weep? He's not weeping because it was a surprise to him. In my opinion, he's weeping because he sees the effects of sin on the world. He sees what this thing, sin, does. Death, you know, is not something that brings God joy. It's a part of the fall. Sickness and death and sadness. This morning as we were driving here, we were listening to music that just talked about God's justice and how one day we'll see him face to face and every wrong will be made right and every tear will be wiped away. But did you know that Jesus actually cares about the troubles of your life? That Jesus has compassion over you? Do you know that Jesus prays for you? Do you know the Holy Spirit prays for you? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know that God has not spun the globe and he's just waiting to see what happens? God is not only alive, he's involved. He's at work. And that should give us hope. But I bet you don't believe that all the time. If you're like me. All of a sudden, you start to build. All of a sudden, you start to set up the, the station to watch out. All of a sudden, you start to micromanage your kids. Because you're their God. You're their designer. You're their protector. And you leave God out of the equation. And God would just come in and say, I build I watch, I gave, trust me, I build, I watch, I gave, and I'm still working. We know the end of the book. We know who's in control and who wins the day.
I would love for you to just close your eyes as, as, as I just lead you in a prayer. Fathers, I just want to target you for a minute. This word is for everybody today. Moms struggle with anxiety. Grandmothers, young ladies struggle with anxiety. But hey, dads, grandfathers, you have a special kind of interesting weight. And I want to just ask you in this moment, not in a mystical sense, just in this moment, I want to ask you to take a deep breath. And say something like this to God. Say something like this. God, help me understand that you're in control. Just help me. Help me understand that you're in control. Fathers, I want you to, want you to, if you're still working, if you still have responsibilities in any way, I want you to just, with your eyes closed, I just want you to, Come to God with the thing that you've been tasked to do in your job. And you just, it, it's almost where you find your identity sometimes. I want you to just give that to God now. And I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to rest. I want you to say something like this to God. I just want you to say, God, help me understand what you want me to do with this job. Say, God, would you take away the stress that that this job just crushes me with? Now, dads and moms, granddads and grandmas, I want you to just picture your family members, whoever they are, whatever's going on. I want you to take a deep breath. Isaiah 26, 3. He he keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Dads, it's not up to you. You can't control it. God's just asking you to follow him with your family. To lead the best way you know how with the scripture in front of you. You will fail, but God won't. I want you to say a quick, silent prayer just about your family. Give the anxiety that your family produces, give it to God. With your eyes closed, hear this. John 15, 15, second half of the verse, says, you can do nothing without me. Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. Dads, moms, anybody in the room, if you're running your life and you've never acknowledged that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, hear me clearly. Jesus lived the perfect life that you were supposed to live, but you can't. He died the death that you deserve to die so that you could be in a relationship with him now and forever. So that you could know him as builder, watcher, provider. If you've never come to know Jesus as God, if you don't know him, if you've been the God of your life, if you've been building and watching and trying to provide without God, would you turn from that today and place your faith in Jesus? It's because of his love that he came and died on the cross for you. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for these families. God, I pray 
thanking you for the, for the comfort, even though we don't always understand it. I don't always understand it. Hardly ever, actually. That you're in complete control. Nothing surprises you. Nothing makes you anxious. God, I thank you that you're present with us, that you promised to never leave us or forsake us, that you told us that you're in control, you have all authority. God, would you protect us from laboring in vain? Would you protect us from just trying to do life on our own? God, would you give us the mercy of leaning into you for all things? And would you release those in this room that don't know you yet and that they would come to know you? Come to know the beautiful truth that Jesus came and died, but he didn't stay dead, he resurrected so that we could put our faith in him and acknowledge him as Lord and be welcomed into the family of God. God, I pray that today could be a blessing of a day for these dads and grandfathers and for their families. God, I pray that they could take a deep breath today and go, you know, I can't fix everything. I know that God can, though. Would you give rest to fathers today? Would you give encouragement in only the way you can do to dads and granddads today? And and the same goes for the ladies in the room. Would you give them rest, peace, to lay back in your arms? Father, we trust you and we love you. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. We're going to sing one more song together, I believe. Or... Oh, Lord's Supper. Well, we, we do respond together as we, we think 